Hey y'all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today we welcome back Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com, and we're going to discuss his new book that he just put out on sous vide Q. That is my favorite topic. I'll be right back with Mr. Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they are all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today, I welcome back... Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com, the master of meat. <laughs> He's been on be- <laughs> been on before, and I welcome him back. Uh, Meathead, go ahead and introduce yourself real briefly so those who don't know who you are will know who you are. Well, I'm a friend of Darren. That's all that counts. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's all that matters. I'm the owner and founder uh, of uh, AmazingRibs.com, and that is... Uh, Certifiable, the uh, largest and most popular barbecue and grilling website in the world, and uh, uh, author of a, a bestseller, New York Times bestselling cookbook, uh, Meathead, The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. Um, Southern Living Magazine called it one of the 100 best cookbooks ever written. That's really something I'm proud of. Well, you should be because it is a manifesto of anybody who wants to cook barbecue. AmazingRibs.com is one of the first barbecue websites I ever stumbled across. And I didn't have to stumble anywhere else once I found it. Because <laughs> you've, got, you've got so much stuff on there and, and stuff that's not just barbecue related. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you have on there can be used for other cooking methods and uh, yeah. as well. And, you know, you've got a lot of scientific stuff it's not traditional baloney that you know this is the way my great great grandpa did it so that's the way we do it you explain why Uh why things work and why you need to do things a certain way and and you know why a brisket needs to go you know to certain temperatures to uh to get tender and all that so it's one of my favorites for sure so um it's been around for what 10 10 plus years now Ah, uh, 14 years, oh, 2005. 2005. I started as a hobby in 2005, and it became a full-time job in 2010. Uh, we were among the first um, on the internet, and uh, so Google fell in love with us and started sending us traffic, and it just took off. Uh, but as far as the science is concerned, you know, it's it's really worked towards our benefit. Um, it, this is 2020. Um, people want to know why. They, you know, they, the old recipe websites used to say, do step one, do step two, do step three. And people want to know why. Why do I do step one? Why, and, and what happens if I change white sugar for brown sugar? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, you know I, learned to, I learned to cook from my dad or grill from my dad. And he learned from his dad and he learned from his dad. And, you know, food science has taught us that a lot of this stuff that we learn just isn't true. There's just a lot of mythology surrounding. I call them old husband's tales. <laughs> and so we try to bust these old husband's tales and uh, uh, explain to people how to do things. Yeah. And that's what I love about it, because I'm one of those guys that I, I've been cooking since I was in my teens. And I mm-hmm. uh, started working in restaurants and all that. But I've always loved cooking barbecue and, and just cooking in general. And I've always wanted to know why, uh, like you said, I'm not just following a recipe. I like to create my own recipes. I like to, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know the methods or why things do work, you can't be really con- creative. You just have to follow other people's, what they created, you know, their recipes. You can't really go off and do your own stuff if, unless you know, 
you know, mm-hmm. how things work and how these things, how the cooking methods work. So that's what I love about amazing ribs. And, um, and I've had this conversation with you before and, and some others is the way barbecue has evolved and changed over the years. It's not just barbecue anymore. It's just outdoor cooking has really yes. in the last 10 plus years, it's changed dramatically. It's not just a Weber grill and a couple hot dogs and hamburgers or maybe a chicken every once in a while. I mean, it's, you know, smoking, you know, grilling, searing, uh, baking. I mean, just about anything you can cook indoors, you can cook outdoors now. So, yeah, and only better. I like to say that, by the way, anything you can cook indoors, you can cook outdoors, only better. Exactly. Uh, and the, and, and, you know, we don't, we don't make a big fuss over what's the difference between grilling and barbecue. Uh, it's one of the first questions the, uh, uh, f- food writers ask me is what the difference is. And, you know, when you get down to it, it's really hard to draw the line nowadays. Um, we used to say, well, barbecue is low and slow. But a lot of the top competition cooks now are cooking their uh, briskets in the 300-plus range. Is that really low and slow? And, uh, you know, it used to be barbecue was big hunks of meat. Uh, uh, you go on the competition circuit again, and uh, uh, they're doing uh, chicken thighs in muffin tins. Um you know, so it, it, it's really, um, I like to, you know, anything you cook outdoors, uh, especially if it's got fire and smoke involved, I, I consider that barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people get a little hung up on you know, naming things. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. it's like the traditional guys. Well, you got to put mustard on your pork butt before you, you oh, know, so, yeah, I mean, it, right. it's things like that where, you know, that's not barbecue, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, okay, if I, I can call it whatever I want, but you go to um, Australia, you know, and that, that's one of the conversations mm-hmm. I just had with Jess Priles is that, you know, down there, most of the stuff was grilling. It wasn't, you know, low and slow. They didn't really know how, how to low and slow until people started finding out about what we do over here in North America. You know, most of it mm-hmm. was just cooking over an open flame on a kettle, you know, or, or uh, you know, a fire pit, so... And they call it barbecue, and they, and they call, call it, it barbecue in South Africa, where most of the grilling uh, is called barbecue, and it's done with an open top. Uh, you know, barbecue was not invented in the United States. People think this is an American invention like jazz, but uh, cooking over fire, cooking with smoke, cooking low and slow, it goes way back to the beginning. I mean, uh, caveman time. Uh, ancient Chinese were good at it. Uh, uh, the, the the Polynesians, uh, uh, Syrians. Uh, I mean, it, it's 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 an international thing. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I, I don't understand why people tend to try to argue about some of these, uh, uh, you know, little things that they try to argue over. Um, one of the things I want to discuss with you too, and we've had this conversation before. I think, you know, with some of these barbecue cooking shows, like, um, you know, what you saw, the uh, uh, barbecue pit masters and stuff like that, where they kind of focus on the comp- the competitor guys. And some people who don't know any better will look at that and think, well, that's barbecue. You know, I got to put, mm-hmm. you know, like I got to do my ribs like Johnny Triggs does for competition to make them mm-hmm. you know, put five different kinds of, you know, spices and and honey and agave and parquet and you know and i think people get confused with that because they try that and they go wow this really is not something i want to eat a whole rack of ribs of when they try it for themselves so yeah i've got a whole article on our website called don't cook like they do on tv (laughs) uh you know and you talk to these competition cooks their recipes are designed for one bite because that's often all the judges will get and they'll be the first to tell you I don't cook like this for my family. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a conversation with Malcolm Reed and his wife on, on the podcast. And that was, yeah. Such it, nice people. And Rochelle was like, yeah, we call it eating barbecue and competition barbecue. And we don't eat, we don't eat the competition barbecue. You know, when we're sitting uh-huh. around and, and talking and having a beer after the competition, we're eating something totally different than we showed the judge. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I think people really need to understand that when they're watching a TV show, you know, that's really not, barbecue and that's not something you want to you know try to feed your family i mean it's barbecue but it's something you it is but yeah i i want i want people to understand that the word barbecue is a big word right it's a big in fact i have an illustration on our website and it's an umbrella 
and the word barbecue is written over the umbrella. And underneath that umbrella are so many different things. I mean, people want to argue that Santa Maria barbecue isn't barbecue. Um, it is. Uh, um, uh, the, the big green egg is a derivative of uh, cooking devices from Asia that's been and India that's been going. In fact, I just recently um, uh, spent a day working in an Indian restaurant uh, kitchen um, to learn how they cook on a tandoor because a tandoor is a lot like uh, a Kamado. And uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to do um, Peking goose on a big green egg. Uh, I had a special connect, uh, special device built so I can hang it in the center. Um, but uh, it's it, it's been made all over the world, and it's been made and it's cooked. Uh, at different temperatures and involves so many different kinds of meats. You know, they say, well, in the Carolinas, hey, it's just hog. Well, the word barbecue comes from barbacoa, which was probably a Spanish word, which was derived from a, a, a Taino-Indian Taino word from the Caribbean, where they were cooking lizards and dogs and fish. Uh, they never had any hogs. Hogs came over from Spain. So, you know, Get over the definition of barbecue and just have fun with fire and smoke. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's things you it just, it's cooking no matter what it is. You know, you're just having fun. You're cooking, you're learning new, new things all the time. And, and in fact, I mean, this dovetails right into what you're doing, fire and water. Right. Um, because um, we, we have a portion of our website called the Pitmaster Club and the people in there are really into cooking outdoors, really into barbecue and grilling. And there's a segment of them who are, who just, you know, hate the idea of sous vide uh, uh, in a barbecue website. And, but we're really into the idea of combining sous vide with smoking and grilling. And a lot of our members are and have gotten really good at it, really deep into it. Uh, I had to turn you on to a couple of our Pitmaster Club members uh, who are uh, really serious about sous vide cube. We call it sous vide cube. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Definitely. And, yeah, I, 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 I always look for more people to have uh, conversations about stuff. Because like, there are. I mean, I get some even in my, my Facebook group, which is dedicated to sous vide and barbecue. But I'll have a barbecue guy come in every once in a while and go, Man, that's just not, you know, just cook everything mm. this way because that's, that's mm. you don't need to, it's like, dude, how do you ever experiment? You know, how do you ever try, mm. you know, try different things? You can't just cook something one way. It's like, I like, mm. I like chicken, you know, smoked. I like chicken fried. I like, you know, a combination. I can smoke chicken and then fry it. And how about that? Mm -hmm. It's going to blow your mind. You can do different things. So, um, mm -hmm. and use, well, you, it, I get the argument often that it's just too technological. Yeah. And I'm saying, okay, so you're cooking, you're doing your barbecue by, you go out in the backyard and you dig a hole in the ground, right? You, <laughs> right. You throw, some, you throw some logs in there and then you take some saplings and lay it over the top. That's how you do your barbecue, right? <laughs> well, no, I use a Weber smoke. Oh, a steel object. <laughs> you know, uh, you know that, talk about technology. Um. Look, at, I remember when I started AmazingRibs.com back in 2005, nobody used thermometers. I mean, you know, uh, they thump their chest, uh, you know, touch the meat. It's got a wubba wubba, you know, and, uh, and uh, everybody uses thermometers now. My wife, who just retired from the Food and Drug Administration, um, said to me one day, I think AmazingRibs.com has sold more thermometers than the USDA and FDA combined. I mean, we are just, you know, guys, it's all about temperature. Cooking is all about controlling the temperature of the cooker and knowing the temperature of the food. And we've convinced so many people of that. Everybody uses thermometers. Now, you go to a competition, you'll see guys bristling with probes. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I don't understand why people think that, if you got something that's a tool that you can use to make your cook better, why would it be? Why would you not want to use it? Um, and I, I don't just see it in barbecue guys though either. Meathead, I see it some old chefs that you know try to teach you know 
their uh, new chefs on how to figure out how a steak is medium rare or rare by touching it or what have you. And it's like, why would well, you want to do that? <laughs> you know, we just did a, um, I did, I did a video series. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, called uh, Barbecue Stars, right? Uh, and uh, Tuffy Stone was in it, and uh, Harry Sue, and uh, Me Church, and uh, uh, a whole bunch of folks were in it. And one of them, I won't mention a name, uh, uh, from France, uh, was talking about how she can tell when it's done. She sticks a a, 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 a metal skewer in the meat and then touches it to her lips. And that's an old technique right. that French chefs used to use. And it, it, it works if you've done it a bazillion times. Right. And, you know, you don't need a thermometer if you're a chef a line chef at Morton's Steakhouse, and you're cooking the exact same steak a hundred times over the course of a night. But if you're going to cook a steak once a week is all, and that's a lot, and it comes from a different cow every, well, you know, different thickness, different breeds, you need a thermometer. Just, you know, get over it. Yeah. There's no reason to not use something that's going to help you be a better cook. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, they don't take away anything, any, any kind of tool uh-huh. is not going to take away. That's like saying I can't mash potatoes with a, with a potato masher. I have to use a fork. You know, <laughs> it's like they, uh-huh. they wouldn't say something like that, but you know, it, uh-huh. it's just a little, little, sometimes they can get a little crazy. So, how many recipes and, and, and rub recipes and all different kinds of recipes do you think off the top of your head you have on AmazingRibs.com right now? Well, well over a thousand. We've actually counted it because we're getting ready to switch from one content management system to another. So we've been doing an inventory. There's over 3,000 articles on AmazingRibs.com, well over a thousand recipes, uh, which would be rubs, sauces, meats, and side dishes and everything. Um, uh, maybe 500 grill and smoker reviews. Max Good, who works for us, is the only guy in the world who makes a living full-time testing grills and smokers. What a cool job description that is. He's got a better job than I have. Yeah, I had Matt on. Uh, um, I had Max on right before Christmas. <clears throat> it was like my pre-Christmas, you know, if you want to know what grill or smoker to get, mm-hmm. get your husband, here's Max Good. He'll tell you <laughs> which ones are the best. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. And I didn't know. He told me that he has the uh, his barbecue sauce company that he started even before he got in, into. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how we met. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's got a little sideline uh, barbecue sauce. Um, that's a really tough business and you can't, it, it's pretty hard to make your living at it. Um, it's because my primarily cause every barbecue joint in America has their own barbecue sauce. So they're going to sell, you know, right there out of the restaurant. It's really hard to compete with them. And also you got every, you know, barbecue celebrity now has their own line of, of rubs and mm-hmm. rubs and sauces. Um, that was one of the things that mm-hmm. I was talking to Jess Priles on and even, you know, Malcolm Reed, they got their own stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, and I hear like with Malcolm, how he, when he first started his first rub, you know, how, how much he had to order. And it was like, you know, you're rolling the dice. He had to order like 400 cases of, of rub mm. to make it make sense. But, you know, he had to invest mm-hmm. a lot of money and he just crossed his fingers and hoped that uh, he could sell it all. But he did end up selling out. So it's. Uh, um, I've stayed out of that game. Uh, we create recipes for rubs and sauces we give them away exactly um, i've used make your own. i've used plenty of your recipes on there i just actually used your pastrami uh recipe oh, I, got, I, I took the uh i got one of my local stores had uh choice chuck roast on sale for 2.99 a pound so, oh, so i loaded up my freezer with it and i got some really oh. thick ones i got one that was like three or three or four inches thick and I use oh. that for pastrami. So, but I use your rub for pastrami all the time. So, that pastrami recipe may be the best recipe on our website. And I know a lot of folks have pastrami recipes out there, but I think we were the first ones to publish a pastrami recipe. Um, and uh, it, it was spot on. It's just really good. Yeah, and I've been to Cat several times, and I'll uh, I'll you know tell you that it, it's it's pretty darn close to Cat's. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's the name of the recipe, close to Katz's recipe. Yeah, that's, uh, Rami, yeah. that's why I use it. I, there's no reason to try mm-hmm. look look. When you find something that works really well, mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason to go looking any further for it. But uh, yeah, you know, talk, speaking of rubs, though, this is an interesting topic. Um, all the rub recipes we have on the website, none of them have salt, and it's an important concept we talk about. Salt can penetrate deep into meat. It takes its time. It's slow. But salt is just this tiny little molecule with two atoms, sodium and chloride. And when they get wet, they get an electrical charge, and they move, and they move deep. But sugar is 23 atoms, uh, 23 molecules. Garlic, huge molecules. They cannot penetrate very far. They will maybe get a sixteenth of an inch in, because of the cracks and the crevices and the pores. But if you take, for example, a pork loin and you put a rub on it um, and you roast it, cook it, smoke it, do whatever you want, and you cut it in half when you're done and make sure that you don't push the seasoning from the outside down into the center, take a core sample out of the center. You're not going to taste any garlic, any sugar, any pepper. It just can't get in. It's The molecules are too large. So the key here is, is you apply salt based on the weight of the meat because it's going to penetrate. You want it to distribute not just on the surface, you want it in the center. Salt really enhances flavor. It doesn't alter it. It's not like garlic, which alters the flavor. Um, It enhances the, the natural flavors. And it also alters the shapes of the proteins so they hold on to moisture better. So you want to apply the salt differently on a pork butt than you would on a slab of ribs. A slab of ribs, less than an inch thick, it's going to penetrate quickly. So you don't want as much salt on there as you would put on a butt. So when you buy a rub that has salt and herbs and spices in it, um, you're getting a premix when in fact you should apply the salt based on the weight and the thickness and the rest of the stuff based on the surface area. So uh, not only that, but you don't want to put a salty rub on something like a ham because it's already salted. And a lot of turkeys nowadays are salted. You've got people with salt-restricted diets out there. Uh, So you should make your own rubs because darn few commercial rubs have no salt. And in fact, when you buy a commercial rub, if it's got salt in it, you're paying a lot of money for salt. Yeah, that's because it's often they're half salt. Yeah, and that's that's the thing too, is that you know, commercial rubs are so expensive that mm-hmm. you know it's like why would you why would you pay so much for and one of the ones that I, you know, comes up a lot in some of the groups I'm in is that bad Byron's uh, you know, butt rub and there's no it's pretty much all seasoned salt to me. It's like Lowry seasoned salt. Mm-hmm. There's no, um, you know, sugar mm-hmm. or anything. It's very, popular. Yeah, it's very popular, but it's pretty much salt and it's expensive salt. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're paying a lot just for something that's seasoned salt that you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of. It's not hard to make your own recipe or start with mine and riff on it, you know, right. to go. My Meatheads Memphis dust is really popular. Start with that. And then if it's got too much of this, take it out. Too much of that, add, uh, add or too little of that, add more. Um, but keep the salt out. Add the salt separately. And give the salt a chance to penetrate if you can. The thicker it is, the further in advance, you know, big, thick piece of meat, like a pork butt, try to get it on the night before. Um, uh, ribs, uh, just a couple of hours is all it takes for the salt to penetrate. Uh, and don't worry about the rest of the stuff because it can go on right at the last minute because it's not going anywhere. Right, exactly. Well, explain this to me and, and 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 to some people that might not understand when you're doing a brine, especially let's say you know for the pastrami, mm-hmm. you know I make the the brine for the to make the corned beef before I make the pastrami. Mm-hmm. I don't like to buy the pre pre made ones. So when you're making mm-hmm. a brine, why do most brines have other ingredients in it besides the salt? You know, they have sugar. They, they have, don't need. They don't need to. Yeah. Um, um, well, first of all, let's just define some terms because they're often used interchangeably and they're technically not. Uh, a brine technically is just salt and water. 
um, a cure, which is what you use when you're making corned beef or corned beef for pastrami or bacon. A cure has regular salt, plus it has a preservative salt called prog powder number one, which has got sodium nitrite in it. Some of them have nitrite and nitrate in it. Um, But those are preservatives, and those turn the meat pink, and they preserve it, and they kill the botulism bug. Um, And uh, they they go back, way back before refrigeration, and that's where they came about. Um, So they do alter the flavor, they alter the color, and that's a cure. Um, But the ones like you buy for making corned beef, uh, it's got black pepper and all this other stuff in there. It doesn't penetrate to the center. It, 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 it really isn't necessary. You can make darn fine corned beef with just salt and um, uh, so, uh, prog powder number one. And, and like with, you know, pastrami, you're putting the rub on when you smoke it anyway. So it's not, that's the difference. It's really not going to, you know, and that's the, that's the thing too in, you know, I'm, I'm a big follower of, of your marinade uh, article that, that gets read a lot and, and shared a lot because people, I don't know where it came from or where people think that a lot of this stuff penetrates deep into the meat because I, I never thought, I've never thought meat was a sponge that sucked up, you know, <laughs> whatever you put on it. But, pe- no, but, and, but well, people it, do. It, so. It's a good, it's actually sponge is a good word because it, it really is, in effect, a sort of sponge, but it's saturated. It's a sponge that's got, I mean, it's 70% water. Most meats average. It varies depending on the cut and everything. But let's just, on average, meat 70% water. And it's chock full. There's no room for anything more in there. So you can take that piece of meat and soak it in water and wine or anything, and it just can't get in. It's already full. Um, and, 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 the, and if there's flavor, wine, for example, flavor, they just don't go past the surface very far. Um, I've, I've, I've got pictures of it on the website. I've soaked meat with a little food coloring in there and you can see it's just not getting past the surface. Um, uh, you know, you people, they go out and they buy a turkey for Thanksgiving and they get a big old, uh, Home Depot five gallon bucket and they, or a beer cooler and they fill it with apple juice and black pepper and garlic and sugar. And it's all wasted. Um, that stuff, um, goes on the surface and it just stays there. It doesn't go in. So you're putting like a half a cup of, uh, garlic in there when uh, two tablespoons will cover the surface just fine. Yeah. Um, which is why I switched to dry brines, uh, uh, years ago. And I think I'm the one who invented the word dry brine. Um, uh, I, I wasn't the one who invented the concept. Um, there are others who were doing it, but it's basically just the concept of salting the meat in advance because the moisture in the meat will melt the salt on the surface and it will move inside. So you don't have to put it in a bucket full of water. Um, you can just spread the salt on the surface and the rule of thumb is a half a teaspoon per pound of meat and give it maybe, uh, uh, an hour or two per inch. So if it's a you know, four inch thick pork loin, give it six to eight hours, uh, to penetrate. And that's probably more efficient anyway, putting it on top instead of soaking it because, Absolutely. you know, it's going to more concentrate. It's going to be able to get into the, like you said, it's, it's taking some of the moisture out of the meat and then mixing in with the salt and then it's pulling it back in because it of the, goes right in. Yeah. So, and I've got a little video I did where I did that. I just sprinkled some salt on a steak and I, uh, time-lapse photography, and you can see the moisture come to the surface, the surface gets shiny, the salt melts, and then it disappears. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. That's a lot of stuff that um, that's on AmazingRibs.com, so if you guys have never been on it, make sure you go there. You can spend days, weeks, months on there and um, you know have learned something new every day. But also, check out the Pitmaster Club, which the Pitmaster Club is a membership, um, kind of like the old Bolton Board uh type membership uh, communities where people interact more like a Facebook type group where people share recipes, information, cooking styles. They share all kinds of information. So, and uh, the Pitmaster club is one of the biggest barbecue groups on the internet as well. It is the, by far. In fact, 
we're 16,000 members. KCBS is 17,000 members. We're closing in on KCBS. There you go. And it's very uh, cost effective as well because it's still under 30 bucks a year, correct? Twenty three ninety five a year. It hasn't changed since we started it five, six years ago. Don't plan on changing it anytime soon. And um, it, it's just a fun place to exchange ideas and information. And we've got four or five um, moderators who are uh, very good at keeping uh, flame wars down. Um, the only flames are from the grill. Uh, we uh, don't have uh, arguments. We don't have name calling. Uh, we don't have insults. Uh, it's a very no politics, race, and religion. It's just a fun place to talk about cooking and learn stuff new, like the sous vide queue that we're going to get into in the yeah. second half here. Also, yeah. you got the uh, meet up in Memphis coming up. Um, you want to talk about that? It's almost sold out. So, yeah, this is cool. Um, believe it or not, there has never been a shindig for barbecue lovers, backyard barbecue lovers, backyard cooks, um, a convention, a conference, whatever you want to call it, uh, in this country where we've uh, booked the Peabody Hotel. Um, People come in on uh, Thursday night. Um, Friday, uh, Mark Lambert, the uh, former Memphis in May champion, uh, well-known barbecue uh, pit master, makes his own rubs and sauces, uh, is going to prepare three hogs for dinner for Saturday night, but he's going to prepare it where we can watch. He's going to do two of them, the standard butterfly technique, and one of them what's called running style, where the hog is upright like it's running. And uh, then we are going to go to uh, just right across the street from the hotel to the rendezvous for dinner. Um, And we have... uh, uh, all day Saturday uh, presentations, uh, mostly pork centric, uh, on the uh, stuff about the history of Memphis. Uh, 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 we got Jim Compart coming in to talk about Compart Duroc and how their new breeding techniques are producing uh, better tasting hogs and uh, different breeds. Uh, we've got uh, Chef Murray from the uh, the Pork Board coming in to talk about the future of pork and. Uh, the future of cooking, uh, different uh, developments in cooking uh, technology and uh, presentations, seminars, and an expo. We have an expo with about 15 manufacturers exhibiting uh, grills and smokers that you won't find in the Ace Hardware. Um, we, we, we don't have Weber and Charbroil, uh, I don't think. Uh, uh, they'll be there. Uh, we're focused on getting in. Hasty Bake is there. Uh, the uh, the new Slow and Sear Kamado is going to be there, and uh, several others that everybody's interested in learning about. So, and then Sunday we get on the buses and we go visit Memphis barbecue joints. So, and then Sunday night I keep forgetting all this fun stuff we got going. Um, we've got a uh, party at Silky O'Sullivan's over on Beale Street, and it's just a uh, a good old time. So a bunch of other activities. Just go to amazingribs.com and you'll see a, a promo for it and uh, you can get the whole schedule. Sounds like a blast, but unfortunately I have other commitments this year. I'm going to the sous vide summit as a speaker, like I'm sure you are. Be- oh, are you? Yeah. I'm going to be a speaker there too. Yeah. So I think we're, uh, I think we're, they're going to slate us to be cooking together. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, oh. they're, they got that in the works. I was supposed to be there last year, and um, I had already had all my travel plans already laid out when they had asked me to come, and I just couldn't make it. But I, I promised Mike and Jason that I would I would be out there this year. So, but uh, very good. Think- I'm happy to cook with you. I don't know what they want us to do. Yeah, we'll see. Last year, last year I did what I call my uh, afterburner uh, technique, and. Basically, I sous vide a bunch of uh, Allen Brothers prime steaks. They're wonderful steaks. And uh, we sous vide a bunch of them. And then we uh, seared them on top of a charcoal chimney at well over 1,000 degrees. Uh, It takes like a minute per side. And, uh, uh, of course, we chose the hottest day of the year. It was 104 degrees. And I'm outside in front of three charcoal chimneys um as hot as they can be yeah it uh 
I saw pictures of that and I, I heard about it though. And everybody, everybody that had anything to do with it said that, uh, it was actually fantastic. So, but we're going to, meat was delicious. we're going to take a real quick break here. And then we come back, we're going to get down deep into sous vide Q with meathead Goldwyn from amazingribs.com. I'll be right back. Hey all, this is Darren. And I want to take a minute to talk to you about masterclass. I just signed up for masterclass and I can tell you what, it's well worth it. Masterclass is where you can learn how to cook from Gordon Ramsay. You can learn how to sous vide from Thomas Keller. You can learn how to make Texas barbecue from Aaron Franklin himself. All these classes are available on Masterclass plus many more. Masterclass has great video content, interactive assignments, social interaction with the Masterclass community, all for just one fee. You can either buy each individual class for $90 each, or you can sign up for the annual pass, which gives you access to all their classes for just $180. And that's what I signed up for. Check it out, guys. Masterclass has some of the best online training you can find. Check it out, guys, in the link below. Masterclass, amazing. Now on to the show. All right, we're back with Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com. And I just brought it up with the sous vide summit. Um, you were there last year. I'm going to be there this coming August, which is last year was the first year they did this. And, and it's um, going to be an annual event where uh, it's kind of a small, um, I don't know, how would you describe it? It's, it's more of a, like the industry type uh, conference. But well, it was a mixed audience. Uh, I would guess there were 200 people there. It's my off the top of the head guess. And maybe half of them were consumers, and the other half were chefy types. Um, um, some of them really knowledgeable. Um, and uh, they had about 15 exhibitors um, catering mostly to. Um, restaurateurs, but uh, there was a lot to learn if you're just a, a home cook. Uh, and uh, some of the demos, I mean, one of the guys made ricotta cheese in, you know, like an hour. And uh, he, somebody else did limoncello uh, really fast. Um, uh, all kinds of interesting stuff. And there were some very technical uh, presentations uh, they had people there from um, PolyScience, uh, who is, are leaders in the uh, commercial sous vide machines, but their chefs are really smart. Uh, and uh, so it was just a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And that's the thing. They've got people that, you know, are very knowledgeable, like all the people from Crea, which is um, kind of the, the people who's started, you know, using sous vide and, and teaching sous vide to chefs and everything. But there's a lot of enthusiasts, just like there's a lot of barbecue, you know, enthusiasts in barbecue, sous vide is growing to that too, where there's a lot of just home cook enthusiasts that like uh -huh. like me and you that like playing around with cooking and that we take a method and, and try to use it. And um, so I think it's going to grow even more over the years, but um, they definitely had a really good uh, turnout for the first year and some really great speakers. But um, one of the things that came from the sous vide summit where you learned a lot more than you already knew about sous vide Q was your new sous vide um I guess you call it the um, deep dive guide of for sous vide Q. Um, yeah. That's all already on Amazon. I'm going to have a link in the description below to it. I've already been posting. Thank you. I've already been posting it up in my Facebook group, and I probably sold about you know at least a hundred of them so far for you. Excellent. Thank you. But, um, it's called sous vide Q made easy and how to deliciously marry the grill and smoker with sous vide. And you also added some new stuff that. You you already had a, a sous vide Q section on AmazingRibs.com. Yes, yes. Um, but you've added some stuff to it that you learned at the sous vide summit on, on yes. safety and all that. So let's talk about that. How how long did it uh, take you to put this um, deep dive you know dive guide book together? Forever. It was <laughs> it was painful. Well, or first of all, um, you know I'm 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 a I'm a barbecue cook and. Uh, uh, sous vide is something I've just recently learned, and I've been playing with it for a few years, but um, I learned an awful lot about the technology there, um, and uh, 
we have so much interest in the barbecue community. So I wanted to um, explain uh, the different techniques for adding fire and smoke and uh, also wanted to um, test concepts like does it pay to smoke it before you put it in the bag? Um, which is better, smoking before or smoking after? And uh, so we, I did some, you know, good control testing on this and uh, drew the conclusion that, no, it, it, there is a very slight improvement, but it's nowhere near as beneficial as smoking afterwards. And part of the reason is, is that most of the compounds in smoke are water soluble. And if you've experimented with sous vide, you know that there's a lot of water that comes out of the meat into the bag, especially with a long cook. And uh, uh, so a lot of the smoke compounds dissolve. And in fact, sometimes people have noticed that the water bath will actually turn brown if you've smoked food. And that's because the, some of the smoke particles are so small, they can actually go through the surface of the bag. So uh, we've, I've just come to the conclusion that it's, it's, it's not a terribly worthwhile effort to smoke it before it goes in the bag. But you definitely want to smoke it when it comes out of the bag. And that smoke will stick and that smoke will uh, uh, flavor it uh, and it will flavor it greatly. The, the downside is, is you don't get a smoke ring. Smoke rings, as we demonstrated years ago on our site, um, smoke rings uh, happen best when the meat is cold. And uh, by the way, that also is one of those great myths about take your meat out of the fridge and let it sit at room temperature to warm up. When you do that, the meat gets warmer and you're going to have a lesser smoke ring. If you have cold meat, you'll get a better smoke ring. Uh, if you sous vide the meat and then smoke it, you won't have a smoke ring because the meat is already cooked. And when it cooks, the myoglobin um, uh, turns tan. Uh, and the smoke ring is the myoglobin remaining pink uh, from when it's raw. So you don't need the smoke ring. Uh, you don't get the smoke ring uh, if you smoke after, but it tastes delicious. Yeah, that's one of the, you know, and that's it's funny because, you know, just like in the barbecue groups, you know, you got people that, you know, will fight you on traditional stuff, you know, but it's the same way with the sous vide groups because you'll have people on one side smoking it before and or smoking it after. And it's funny that I have people in my group that will argue with me that smoking it before is the best way. And I, and I just come to the conclusion that it's whatever you like the finished product is going to be the mm -hmm. best way, but you can't convince. I've, I, yeah, I mean, I've done blind taste tests. Yeah. I mean, I did it, you know, I, I went out and I bought uh, right. a brisket and I cut the, uh, uh, the point off and I had a nice clean fat flat and I cut it into about six equal and I weighed them and trimmed them to weigh the exact amounts. Well, they were exact same thickness, and one of them I smoked beforehand, one of them I rubbed beforehand, one of them I smoked and rubbed beforehand, one of them I put um, herbs in the bag with, uh, and, you know, did all the variables, and then when I came out, I smoked it, uh, did taste tests, and it was really hard to tell if it had been smoked beforehand. On a few tests, it was slightly obvious, but I just didn't find that it was really a big difference. And it's a bit of an effort, you know, crank up the smoker, throw it on there, smoke it for an hour or so, then bag it, then smoke it. I mean, come on, let's why make cooking more difficult than it needs to be? Yeah, And I found also that the bark is far superior when you when you smoke it after anyway. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things, like I know you touched on this in, in your book as well, if you, after you sous vide it, if you chill it, you chill the meat back down, mm -hmm. it, you're going to, you know, make it actually, the smoke attract to the meat better because smoke, mm -hmm. smoke is attracted to cold, wet meat. <laughs> and unlike, yes. unlike when you're sous vide a you know, a steak and then trying to sear it, you know, when you do that, you're actually trying to get all the moisture off the steak before you sear it. But when you smoke mm -hmm. it, you leave the moisture on, 
Yes. So, yes. so that it sticks to the, you know, and that's one, one of the things I got to try, you know, because people, they get these concepts down and they think, mm-hmm. they think they got to cook everything the same way in sous vide. They'll try to cook, you know, a brisket like they would a steak. Well, I took it out of the bag. So now I got to uh-huh. get it, dry it all off. It's like, no, keep that wet because what you're trying to accomplish now is get smoke to stick to it. But right. And smoke, it's important to understand. Smoke is got a lot of things in it. But basically, it falls into three categories. You got water vapor, you got small, tiny particles, and then you got um, uh, gases and um, the uh, like carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and stuff. Um, and uh, they there's a lot of them in a smoker, and most of them will just go around the meat and out the chimney. Some of them will hit the meat. When they hit the meat, if the meat is dry, they'll bounce off. It's just like the windshield of your car with the bugs. And in fact, if there's often a bubble of cold air around the meat. If you're smoking at, say, 225 or 250, your meat is below 200 most of the time. Uh, it comes out of the fridge at 38. There's a cold air bubble, so it the, the, the smoke will fly around the surface bounce off that bubble and go out. Uh, but um, if, if the surface is moist and it makes contact with the surface, it sticks. Um, it, it, and uh, the, there's a phenomenon called thermophoresis, and it's the same phenomenon that you see in the morning when you get out of the shower. Your mirror is foggy. And the reason your mirror is foggy is that the tiny moisture particles in steam are attracted to cold surfaces. And they stick to your mirror. Same thing happens with the cold surface of the meat. So even though the meat's heating up, even if you're going to take a brisket all the way up to 200, 203 degrees, it's still relatively cool compared to the 225 or 250 of the air. So um, the, the smoke will be attracted to the cool surfaces. It'll stick to wet surfaces. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, if you want to smoke the meat, you preferably want a wet surface. And if you chill it, you'll get a chilled wet surface. I I always tell people too, that even after that, once it's in the smoker for a while, the surface dries out. That's why the barbecue pit masters, even on a regular smoke, they spritz their meat. It's not to that, that moisture is not going to suck up into the meat and make it more moist. It's actually to attract more smoke to the meat. You're painting on a layer of smoke paint. (laughs) Well, they don't know know it when they do that, but yes, that's the that's the effect. They didn't realize that that's by spritzing it, they were actually attracting more scope until we explained the phenomenon to them. A lot of them thought by spritzing they were moisturizing the meat, but of course, when we talk about bark, bark is essentially jerky. Bark is essentially the surface of the meat that is dried out, and 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 um, the 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 stall is when the surface of the meat is moist and it moisture evaporates, or if you spritz it, the moisture evaporates, it cools the surface. And that cooling delays the cooking. It slows the cooking. And the stall is, is when the cooling effect of the evaporation equals the heating effect of the warm air. And then eventually, as the surface dries out, it stops cooling the meat, and you get dry surface, you get bark, and now the temperature can take off again. And that's the, uh, the way the stall works and the dry surface is. So if you keep spritzing, you're actually cooling it. And there's benefit to that, too, because you're, do- you're slowing the cook. And as you slow the cook, you have more time for connective tissue to melt. Yeah, and that's why I always tell them there's a, you know, you don't spritz it every two minutes because, A, you're opening up your cooker every, you know, 10 minutes, but you're also, you don't want to overspritz it because you don't want to keep it cool and you you want to attract the meat. You want to give it time to dry, mm-hmm. dry back out and have mm-hmm. that layer. Just like when you paint a wall in your house, you, mm-hmm. you let the paint dry before you put another layer mm-hmm. on. You know, so you give it time, 45 minutes or whatever it is, open it up. If it's nice and dry, you put another layer on, close it down, and then you don't continue uh-huh. to do it. You just do it a few times to get that nice smoke uh-huh. smoke layer on, and, and then then you can finish it up. But, um, 
yeah, it's a. But there's a, there's another interesting um, um, uh, aspect of what you were just describing, and that is interestingly enough, opening and closing the uh, smoker doesn't really slow the cooking that much. Is an old saying that if you're looking, you ain't cooking. And some people used to say every time you open the lid, you slow down the cooking 10 or 15 minutes. But we've run tests on this, and it's really interesting. Um, and, and it's logical, too, when you think about it. There's warm air in your smoker. And the warm air warms the exterior of the meat. It, it's, it's better to think of it in terms of energy rather than temperature. Warmth is energy, and that energy loads up the surface of the meat. And as the surface of the meat warms up, air can't penetrate the meat. The air isn't cooking the inside of the meat. It's the heat that's in the exterior layers of the meat that works its way towards the center that cooks the center of the meat. It's conduction working its way down. So it's the outside of the meat that cooks the inside of the meat, not the hot air. The hot air only cooks the outside of the meat. So if your meat's been cooking for a while and the exterior has got a nice store of energy built up. When you lift the lid, all the warm air flows out, but the meat doesn't notice it because the meat remains hot, the exterior layer. And you put probes in the in the surface and in the center and, and then put probes in the cooker. And when you lift the lid, you can see the probe in the cooker takes a nosedive, but the probe in the surface of the meat barely blips and the probe in the center doesn't move at all. So it has very little effect when you open or close the uh, the cooker. Yeah, and, and the reason it is, is just like you said before, that that meat's full of water. And that's why you know right. water, when you cook sous vide, you're in a water bath, which water is a lot better, uh, you know, transfer of heat, you know, holding on to heat, re- retains heat a lot better than air. And that's, yes, that's, it's an insulator. And that's why mm-hmm. it, it cooks a lot better. And you can you uh-huh. you can actually heat water to an exact temperature, and that's what sous vide cooking is. It's cooking at a, an exact temperature, which it's hard to do with air because of the fact that it doesn't um, you know it doesn't cook as 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 well. It doesn't hold on to that um, heat as well as water does. So, well, that, that that's a really important concept. That's why I say it's important to think in terms of energy. Now, let's say you take a bucket of water and you put it in a 200 degree oven and you turn the oven on at 200 degrees and then the water will get warm to 200 degrees. You open that oven door, you can put your hand in there and you can hold your hand in there for, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, I don't know. Uh, The air's 200, but it doesn't really hurt. Now put your hand in that 200 degree bucket. That's gonna sting. (laughs) Now put your hand on the side of the oven where it's metal. When you get back from the hospital, you're going to understand that 200 degrees is different between air and water and metal. The energy is different. The temperature is the same, but the energy that's stored and transmitted is different between air and water and metal. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of stuff in the uh, sous vide Q made easy booklet. I'm not going to, I don't want to go into all of it because I want people to buy this because it's something, it's only $3.99. It's not like it costs them a lot. And there's a lot of good information in there. I, I, this is an, you mentioned uh, the deep dive, we called it. Um, It's the first of many, I hope that we're going to do. We're working on one on steak. Now we're working on one on ribs now. But, you know, we put up these web pages like we did on sous vide, and we started with a basic page on sous vide concepts, and then we went to another page where it was talking about the uh, the safety and the microbiology, and then we had recipes and stuff, and we felt like it was scattered all over the place. And, you know, when it comes to learning, a book is better than, than the Internet because a book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you dive into our website and land on a page about sous vide and miss the first page, you're going to get an incomplete picture. So we decided we would pull it together into a book with a beginning, middle, and an end. And we just did this as a digital book um, for $3.99 on Kindle. There's no hard copy, and we don't anticipate doing one. Um, And by the way, we give them for free to members of our Pitmaster Club. So you get these 399 books 
for free with your $24 membership. So, and we're going to be doing a whole bunch of them. So we created this imprimatur uh, for these digital publications called Deep Dives, because each of them will be a deep dive into a topic. And sous vide Q was our first. And it's kind of fun. And there's a lot of, I married a microbiologist, a food safety expert. So there's a lot of safety data in there, a lot of microbiology data, because people worry about cooking at 130, 131 degrees. What's the microbiology involved? And so we cover all that pretty thoroughly. Yeah. And that's, that's why I, I want people to actually, you know, either buy it from Amazon or join the Pitmaster Club and get a hold of it because there is a lot of great information that we couldn't cover on, you know, it would take us, you know, a whole day sitting here talking about it, that you've done all the research, you've got all the references and answers a lot of those questions that people have, especially uh, when they're first starting to play around with sous vide. So, And we also produced, we also produced an eight half uh, 11 refrigerator magnet that has a lot of interesting technique and temperature um, guide for sous vide. And I've tried to distill it down. You know, um, uh, most sous vide machines require an app. And uh, there's just a lot of different temperatures that there's no way you can memorize. And um, uh, there's books. I've got maybe 10 of them. And they're just full of all these temperature charts and everything. And what I tried to do is, from my experiments, come up with a a couple of very simple guides, um, tender cuts and tough cuts. And the, 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 the right way to approach tender cuts and the right way to approach tough cuts, and uh, a basic tender uh, temperature for the tough cuts, like your ribs and your brisket and so on. And uh, uh, it seems to work. Um, I've edited with a number of people who know more about sous vide than me, and uh, uh, that is also on Amazon. The refrigerator magnet's like 10 bucks. Great. And and it could also be found on the, uh, on the Pitmaster Club as well and on a link to it on uh-huh. amazingribs.com. So, yeah, and I've found with the times and temps on sous vide, especially when you're mixing it with um, smoking or grilling, is there's a there's a range and people it's not just a you know an exact this, you know, no. this and that. It, there's a range. Even for medium rare, there's a range. Um and, and and like you said, there's different ranges for tougher cuts and and then tender cuts and and you know, whether it's a higher fatty cut, like for me personally, medium rare for a filet uh, doing it sous vide, I'll do it at 131. But for a, a ribeye that has more fat and connective tissue to it, even though it's still kind of tender, I'll, I'll cook that at 134 because that lets the, huh. the fat actually render a little bit more than it would at 131. And when you're dealing with these um, precise temperatures, you know, that are one or two or three degrees. I mean, things can change a lot from 131 to 134, but the doneness level still looks, you know, pretty good, but just that extra three or four degrees is going to help the fat render a little bit more. So, well, and let's not forget that there are different breeds of cattle and there are different ages for the animals um, and the different feeds and they can all affect. You can go out and buy two briskets, and one will cook differently than another. Definitely. Um, well, when it came to these barbecue cuts, like ribs and stuff, I, you know, I, I got out all the books, and um, uh, Jason Logston uh, recommended 140 for uh, uh, one or two days for chop-like ribs, and 156 for 18 to 36 hours for fall apart ribs. Philip Preston said 145 for 24 hours. Kenji says 145 for 36 hours for extra meaty, 165 for 12 hours in a more traditional barbecue style. Andrew Zimmern says 152 for 18 hours. Chef Grant Crilly of Chef Steps, the Jewel Guys, 162 for four and a half hours. Doug Baldwin, another scientist and a book author, says 175 for eight to 12 hours. So for, come on, you know, it's all over the place. But you know what? 
you know, when you start monkeying with the times and temps, and if you start going, you know, the, the, the lower you go, the, the longer you go, you might have a similar result, even though the times are totally different, times and temps are totally different, you know, especially when it's the barbecue meats, when they're, you're cooking them well done, especially if you're cooking something that you would normally cook well done, you might be able to cook it a little bit hotter at a little bit shorter time or a little bit short, you know, a little bit lower temperature with a little bit longer time and get the similar result. Mm-hmm. And now, now here is another aspect. I tried to be non-sectarian in this, um, and I tried to wrap it up with the be- basic question of, is sous vide a fad? Is sous vide going to stick? What is it best for? And I, I, I kind of came to a conclusion. Um, for me, I don't do ribeye or tender cuts much anymore. Um I just grill them. Um, I don't bother in the sous vide because they're so tender already. The real great advantage of sous vide is it tenderizes meat. And so for things like rump, um, things like uh, uh, brisket, man, sous vide's really good, really excels. But I don't find that it makes a ribeye a lot better. And in fact, I did side by side. I did sous vide in what I jokingly call redneck sous vide, which is reverse sear. And the reverse sear is slightly tougher, but it's also slightly more flavorful. So now you're down to the choice, Sophie's choice here. Do you want flavor or tenderness? And for me, it's tender enough. So I just don't do sous vide ribeye or filet anymore. Um, uh, But I have been having fun with things like brisket and ribs and tougher cuts. Um, They get noticeably more tender. And especially if they go from sous vide to the smoker. I mean, a ribeye goes from sous vide to a hot sear. So there is not a great deal of exposure to flame. But if you go from sous vide to the smoker, now you got a chance to pick up some real flavor. Exactly. And I, and I agree with you because one of the things that really opened my eyes to sous vide was when I could take a um, top round or what most grocery stores call London broil. <laughs> you know, that's uh-huh. usually a pretty tough hunk of meat to try to cook any other way. To cook that for 24, 36 hours in the sous vide and then throw it on and, and sear it. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff or beef ribs. I can make beef ribs medium rare and super tender now and then throw them on the smoker. So mm, yeah. beef ribs are a good one. And that's uh, that's the kind of stuff that yeah. I kind of agree, you know, for a filet mignon, is it really, you know, worth it? Probably not. You know, it's like yeah. and it's not gonna replace anything either. You know, there's there's people that come in and go, Oh, I'm gonna well, you can do it traditionally and, and you know, what I say is one of the things I can do by mixing the two methods is create something that I couldn't do with either of them separate, like beef ribs, you know, to make a nice medium rare plate beef ribs and then put them on the smoker. And, and have, you know, cause normally if I cook them on the smoker only, I got to cook them to over 200 to get tender. If, and, take and if I cook them just in the sous vide, they're not going to be smoky. So if I combine the two, now I can have medium rare beef ribs that are smoky. So that's the kind mm-hmm. of things that really open my eyes to it is it's not going to replace, you know, smoking only. And it's not going to replace, you know, sous vide only. But if you start mixing them together like that, that's where the, the things start really come up, coming yeah, alive. Beef ribs are one of those things that really yeah. sink. And you do sous vide. Well, Meathead, I want to thank you for being on again. It's uh, about that time for us to wrap up, but I want to make sure everybody t- uh, takes a look at amazingribs.com. Check out the meetup in Memphis. If you're interested in that, there's only a few slots left. Definitely check out the sous vide Q made easy deep dive book. I'll have a link to that for in Amazon. It's definitely worth it to join the uh, Pitmaster club on amazingribs.com. As Meathead says, you get that for free. So right there, that's a, you know, it's worth more than $4. I read it uh, from end to end and it's definitely worth more than $4. There was a lot of work put into that. There's a lot of great information. Meathead, as always, I really appreciate you being on and um, I hope to have you on again soon. Darren, what a pleasure. And we'll see you in San Francisco. I will, at the- I will see you in August at the sous vide summit. And if they haven't got anything specific planned for us, 
we ought to put our heads together and plan something um, with and, and just make life easier on them. And let's just you and I cook up a concept and let's do a presentation and a, a pre and a cook. That sounds like a plan. I think I'll get with Mike and find out what kind of meat they got going on and we'll, we'll put something together. Yeah. Excellent. All righty. Thanks again. I will see you again on the next episode. As always, thanks for joining us here on the fire and water cooking podcast. It was great to have meathead Goldwyn from amazingribs.com on again. Make sure you check out the link below to amazingribs.com. Check out the new sous vide Q deep dive book. He's got out. There's a lot of information in there. Well worth it if you even if you buy it on Amazon for the $4, but the Pitmaster Club, he will include it if you join, which is another uh, worthy membership to join you get a lot of information at amazingribs.com uh, if you love barbecue and now if you love barbecue and sous vide mixed together well thanks for uh, listening make sure you follow us on the fire and water cooking youtube channel facebook group facebook page instagram and then make sure you tune in to the next fire and water cooking podcast episode i'll see you then